I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to first Ephesians. We'll start there and then end with the passage I'll be considering in more detail tonight. Well, these two sister letters consider much the same topics. Ephesians chapter 6 and <clears throat> reading verses 18 through 20 and then flipping over to Colossians 4. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Then over a few pages to Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Well, let's pray and ask, uh, indeed, these very things from God as we open his word, as I preach it, as you hear it, as we just sang, that uh, hearer and preacher alike may be given help, that God's word, to use the words of another passage in the New Testament, may run run into our hearts, have free course in each and every heart tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come before you with great needs. The Apostle Paul pleaded for the Ephesians and the Colossians to pray for him, that he would open his mouth with clarity, with boldness, and make known the mystery of the gospel as it ought to be proclaimed and that you would open that door into hearts as well and make it effectual. And so we plead this very thing tonight, that you would help me, the preacher, help each one, the hearers, whether here in this building, in the adjacent fellowship hall, in the gymnasium, or wherever they may be online, that you would take your word, your word, O Lord God, the living word of the living God, and make it live in hearts. Make hearts that were once stone beat tonight. We ask this because only you can do it. But you are able more than able. You are more than able to do more than we ask or even think. Hear us. For Jesus intercedes for us. Amen. Now we often casually ask our brothers and sisters to pray for us. Uh, we, ask about, we ask for prayer about all manner of things. And the closer the relationship, the more intimate the request that we might ask them to pray for. We ask for a prayer for our health, for our jobs, perhaps a job interview. And if it's a more intimate relationship, you might ask for help with struggles regarding sin. You might ask for help with marriage concerns, anxieties. Again, the closer the relationship, the more intimate the request. Well, here, the Apostle Paul, as it were, bears his heart and asks for prayer for himself and for his fellow laborers. 
He bears his heart and shows his need. He's not saying, well, we've got this and we're okay. He pleads with the people to pray for him because he needs it. He feels his need. And I can say on behalf of my fellow preachers who address you from this pulpit, our missionaries, those with whom we are in fellowship, I know these men, and they would say the same. This is a frightening task to stand in the pulpit, to proclaim God's word. It is, uh, in a way, intimidating. But God has his word, and he has directed us to preach that word. And so we would solicit your prayers as we open up this passage. Here you have, in a way, a directory that you can turn to Sunday morning. What do I pray for, for the ministry of the word today? Open up to Colossians 4, Ephesians 6, and you find a prescription of things to pray for for us. And as we look at the passage here in Colossians, and we'll follow the outline from the Colossians passage and borrow things from Ephesians along the way, but the the outline comes out this way. There's one whom, it's in the objective case, English uh, grammar Nazis, one whom, whom do you pray for? And then there are four what's. What do you pray for for them, for requests? So let's make five points out of that. One whom and four what's. And so uh, we have whom to pray for, and then four prayer requests for them. Well, let's begin then. Uh, Whom do we pray for? Look at the text. In Colossians 4, he says, uh, praying at the same time, as you're devoted to prayer, as you're keeping alert in prayer, you're vigilant in your prayer, you have thanksgiving in your prayer, at the same time that you pray for other things, he says, pray for us as well. For us. Now, Paul, of course, is saying, as we did, we saw in Ephesians, he said, pray for me. And so it's prayer for Paul, um, for Paul in particular. Now, just a minute, you know, you have the preacher saying, pray for me. I, I have a platform here with a lot of people listening. You say, that's kind of self-serving, you know, for uh, to take advantage of that platform and ask for prayer for himself. But you see... Praying for the preacher is really praying for good for yourselves. It's on your behalf. As Paul said to the the Corinthians, remember he had this uh, somewhat difficult relationship with the Corinthian church, and they were accusing him in a way of being self-serving. And you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, in the middle of this very painful letter, or at the end of it, rather, uh, Paul says this in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 12. All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. It's all about me. It's all about our ministry. That's what you've been thinking. Actually, he writes, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So I know it's a different context, but as you turn back then to Paul asking them to pray for him, uh, I could say the same. It's all for your upbuilding, beloved. It's all for your good. It's all that uh, benefit would flow from the word of God to you that these requests are made. And so when Paul says pray for us, 
it's really for your good <laughs> to pray for us. Well, when he says us, though, it's not just Paul. He includes his fellow workers. If you go back to Colossians 4, he mentions others. Uh, As to all my affairs, verse 7, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant, will bring you information. So this letter is coming by the hand of Tychicus. And uh, so when he says pray for us, well, here's another, what? Fellow laborer, fellow bondservant, faithful servant. And then he mentions verse 10. Of course, there's Onesimus, the ex or the slave. But then verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Also, Barnabas' cousin Mark. And verse 11, and also Jesus, who is called Justice. Verse 12, and then there's that one that they know so well. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. And so even Luke, the beloved physician, verse 14, and also Demas, a name which goes down in infamy. But at this point, as far as they all knew, he was a brother, a fellow servant. He went wrong later on. But the point is that there were other faithful fellow servants other faithful fellow laborers. And so when Paul says, pray for us, he's not just saying for me, pray for all the faithful servants of Christ. And then by extension, of course, this means everyone who's a servant of Christ, everyone who's laboring to proclaim the word of God, everyone who is an under-shepherd, everyone who's a missionary. So we prayed for our missionaries earlier. You want to know what to pray for missionaries? Well, here you have a list, a prayer list, if you will. And so we solicit your prayers in the same way. All right, so pray for us. Pray what? Well, here you have a list. Now, why, before we go on to those requests, those specific what's, uh, let me just say here why. I know that wasn't in the outline, but let me just stick it in. Why pray for these men? Why pray for us? Because, in a word, we are needy. We are needy. As Paul said in Philippians 3.3, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We have no claim of great ability We have no trust in ourselves that we've got this thing down. Even having preached for more than 30 years, it's not like you get up on a Sunday morning and say, I've got this. I remember Pastor Martin saying to us that in a sense, every time is like the first time when I remember somewhat uh, knees knocking and uh, somewhat in great trepidation. But it's not that we've done this so long that we can do it. We know it's, it's easy. Every time we are dependent utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God. And if He doesn't come, we could fall flat on our face. We are utterly dependent. We have no confidence in the flesh. Who, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, who is sufficient for these things? Our adequacy is from God. And so, brethren, uh, apart from Him, We can do nothing. We're very well aware of that. Pray for us. But then also, not only because we're needy, but because God is able. 
he can make all grace abound to us that always having all sufficiency in all things, we can feed you. Why? Because God's given us food to serve up and to deliver. God's able. What a contrast, if I may say, before we, before we move on, what a contrast to the attitude of today. Since Charles Finney, uh, back in the first half of the 19th century with his new measures and with the Second Great Awakening, uh, said that, well, you know, if we have the right atmosphere and we have the right man and we have the right way of preaching, we can guarantee results. And so instead of expecting God to work revival, man produces revival. So I'll come to our church, we're going to have a revival. Oh, you are. I, remember, I grew up in a church where every year, every summer, we would have a revival and we would have a special speaker all week and you try to get your friends from uh, school who also went to their own church and you come to, they come to your church for your revival and you get a prize and they, you go to their church and it's just, just a farce. Man-centered, man-produced converts are worthless. Manipulated. That's not what we're about. We know, apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ working by His Spirit, we're helpless. And so pray for us. Pray for us. Now, when we look at the request, I want to just say one thing before we look at the specifics. Uh, I want you to note, when we, we just read them earlier, and uh, all these requests, Paul did not ask for health. He did not ask for the people to pray that he would be delivered from his thorn in the flesh. Of course, that was earlier on. Second Corinthians was written before Colossians. Uh, not a word of that. Not a word about his being in prison at this point. Not that that would have been wrong for him to ask them to pray that he would be delivered. In fact, later on, the last, uh, next to last phrase of the chapter, of the, of the letter, he writes in verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment or my bonds. Wouldn't be wrong for him to mention that. But here, when he's specifically asking for prayer, there's not a whisper about me, my needs, my situation, my health, my wealth. It doesn't come up. Because, you see, Paul wasn't all about me. What, again, a contrast from this generation. What is his priority? It's the gospel. It's the cause of Christ and his world and his kingdom and his gospel. That's Paul's great burden. Ah, may we stop from our self-centeredness. Stop from our uh, focusing on what I need and what I feel and what I face and my burdens. Of course, they're real. And Paul does say, remember my bonds. It's not wrong to ask for prayer for yourself, but where is the priority? That's the question. I, my generation was the one supposedly raised on Dr. Spock. You know, don't spank the kids. 
but I think there was still enough common grace in our country that my generation did get its share of spanking. At least I know I did. Uh, and I deserved it, by the way. I, my parents are probably tuning in here. So this is not a complaint lodged against my parents. We deserved it. We needed it. The next generation got spanked a lot less. And then we've got the, the Generation X and the Millennials and the Post-Millennials and all of them. And it's less, what do we get? All this self-centered, well, it's all about me and what I deserve and what I need and where is my... And younger brethren here, and I, I have to, I guess, classify myself with among those, being among those who are older at this point. Uh, but for all of us, whatever gen you're in, it's not about you. Focus on Christ and his kingdom and his gospel. That's where Paul was. Now, what are his requests? Prayer request number one is this. Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word. A door for the word. Well, this is about opportunity. What does the door mean? Well, you think of the door, okay, the word. Paul is going to speak it. So first of all, the door opens from his mouth. And then secondly, the door opens for opportunities, places where he can get the word to people. And then thirdly, the door has got to be the ears, because, you know, you can talk and uh, as it's uh, like one teacher I had would say to the class, I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Well, that doesn't do much good. You got to get ears open to have that word do any good in hearts. And so you can look at it, this saying, you know, that the Lord, that God may open a door in those three words, that, that the door would be opened of his mouth. And that's what he said, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 6. You might say, well, that's a bit, you know, a bit far-fetched, but that's what he said, Ephesians 6.19. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. So Paul knew that if he's going to speak and speak properly, God's got to open his mouth. All right? So the opening of my mouth. We'll look more about that when it comes to boldness and clarity in the couple more requests. So I won't dwell on that. But then secondly, it means an opportunity to get the message into the ear of the hearer. There's got to be a platform. There's got to be an occasion. There has to be a place and a time where that can can happen. And so uh, Paul asked for that, in, or he mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 69. He says, For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Think of North Korea. If we pray for a door for the gospel in North Korea, we're thinking perhaps of one true Christian whispering to his neighbor, you want to hear good news? Yeah, I'm starved for good news, real news (laughs) in this country. You talk about fake news, that's all they get there. Well, pray that God would open a door, an opportunity. That's what we pray for, for our missionaries. Think of Hojun in, North, in South Korea. 
And there they are in quarantine. How can he have an opportunity to get the word to the ear of a hearer? Through the internet. We pray that people will hit his page. Pray for a door of opportunity. When the men go to the street corner preaching, whether it's Morristown or Montclair or Newark, we pray there will be an open door, no police hindrance, no police officer saying you can't do that here, but that they'll have liberty, opportunity. And so that's another aspect of an open door, opportunity. An open door, a wide door for effective service. But thirdly, it means opening hearts to receive the word. Like the Lord opened Lydia's heart. And you know of Lydia, that lady in Acts 16 in Philippi, one of the, in fact, the first convert in all of Europe, as Paul came to Philippi down to the riverside, and he spoke to those ladies who were gathered for prayer. And the Lord, it says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. To respond to the things spoken by Paul. So we pray for an open door in hearts that the word will go not just from the ear to the mind and be fizzled out, forgotten, or blunted, turned aside, but that it'll go down to the heart. Pray for an open door in hearts. And so plead as we preach for these things, opening of our mouth opportunities that we, it's not just that we do this once, twice on a Sunday, and that's all we're about. We want to see opportunities with our neighbors, with the school, with other places. When we have the chapel hour here, we want open doors for the gospel to plow through. So pray for that. Pray for us in those three ways. Opening of our mouth, open doors of opportunity, and open hearts to receive it. Prayer request number two. That he may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So you look back in Colossians chapter 4. That we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Now this is about the content of the preaching. What is he going to preach? Well, he calls it here the mystery of Christ. In Ephesians 6, he said that we may make known the mystery of the gospel. Mystery of Christ, mystery of the gospel, it's the same thing. The gospel, the good news. Now, why does he call it mystery? And I've mentioned this before back in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 26, that is the mystery, the preaching the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested. What is that? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Preaching Christ. His gospel. And here's what was hidden for long ages past. Was that the Messiah. The Jewish Messiah. The Christ. This coming one. Spoken of in the prophets. From long ago. Was not just for Jews. That's what the Jews thought. That's our Messiah. Hands off. Not just for Jews. Too light a thing that he would just go to to Israel and to Judah, but that he would go to the ends of the earth. His salvation would reach that far. It's now revealed, and we're the proof, right? We got uh, just uh, not every nation under sun, but we've got the United Nations here pretty much. This is the proof. Every tribe, people, tongue, race. The gospel's for everybody. 
And so it's making known this gospel to all. That's what he prays for, that we would preach the gospel. What's the gospel? What's this good news? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a fountain opened, as we sang earlier, for sin and uncleanness. And that fountain is filled not with water, not with springs. It's filled with the blood of the Lamb. And sinners, sinners of every dye, though your sins be as scarlet, you plunge in this flood of the blood. You're washed from every stain. Lose all their guilty stains. God is holy. God hates sin. That's where it starts. You're a sinner. And so in other words, you can't just waltz up to God and say, here I am. There's an issue between you and God. And that's your rebellion. But the good news, Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. And so Paul says, pray that we'll speak that and no other message. That's what he said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9. As we said before, we say it again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Any other gospel is not God's gospel. And sadly, brethren, in our day, pulpit upon pulpit across this land around the world, preaching all manner of drivel. And thousands love to have it so. Your best life now, drivel. And there are thousands hanging on it. So pray for us that we will preach the mystery of the gospel. The good news, the word, nothing else. What's our task? And, and you want a, a preacher's job description, you go to 2 Timothy 4.2. What is it? Preach the word. Not funny stories, although to have a smile is not a crime in the pulpit. Not anecdotes of what you went through. Not your best life now. Not tickling your ears. But what does God's words? What's the mystery of the gospel revealed for you to hear and know? And so we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But that's what we're going to preach from this pulpit. Pray that that will always be so. Fourth, uh, third request, number four. Point number four is the request number three. And it's implied here in, in Colossians, but explicit in Ephesians. And what's that? Well, he says at the end of verse 3, for which I also have been imprisoned. What's the implied request there? That I will continue to preach it boldly, no matter what they do to me. And he says it explicitly in Ephesians chapter uh, 6. He said there, and he said it twice, to make known with boldness, verse 19, the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly, with openness of speech. Because you see, you know, you put somebody in chains. You think about our brethren in, in China, in North Korea, other places where they are, uh, perhaps in prison, perhaps even tortured for their faith. And... You know, we have a saying in English, once burned, 
twice shy. Well, they did that to me. I don't know. Maybe next time I won't preach so boldly. Uh, maybe next time I'll just trim a little bit off the edges. Uh, maybe next time I'll make it a little bit uh, easier to swallow for those people. And so when Paul says, for which also I have been enchained, literally. Well, pray. If it comes down to it. For us, you know, I personally don't feel threatened with chains. I preached places in Mindanao where perhaps I could have been kidnapped, but I never was. But pray that whatever the political climate in our country, as it turns more and more anti-Christian, that your pastors will be bold and never trim any corners to please anybody. Because as Paul said there in Galatians uh, 1, to continue what he had said, that if I am now seeking the favor, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, preaching boldly is not just with a threat of imprisonment. It can be with a threat of, well, he's going to preach that? Hmm, Maybe I won't go. Oh, well, maybe I I won't click like on my Facebook page with that sermon. Okay? We're going to still preach the word. And that we may preach it boldly. You know, I, I want to say this to your commendation, brethren. I believe that's why you come to this church. Because you know that you're going to get, as Pastor Martin always said, 16 ounces to the pound. And you're not going to get things trimmed off because it might not be palatable or pleasant or politically correct. But we're going to tell it like it is. We'll pray that it will keep on being like that. Prayer request number four. Going back to Colossians 4. And that's in verse 4. In order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That I may make it clear. Now this message you see is so important. It's the mystery of the gospel. That doesn't mean it's something obscure, hard to understand, like the so-called mystery religions that you need to be really, wow, kind of deep to get it. That's not what it means, because it's now revealed. It's a mystery before hidden, but now it's exposed. Now it's, it's plain for all to see. Well, it needs to be plain. It needs to be clear. You know, there are politicians who are masters of the art of obfuscation. In other words, they are asked a question, and they give you a long-winded answer, Then you scratch your head and say, what? And that's exactly what they want to happen because they're trying to weasel out from giving you an answer. They're masters of saying nothing with a lot of words. Well, that is not to be the art of preaching. Preachers are to say what you need to hear clearly and plainly so that you can't misunderstand it. Except for, of course, the fact that the devil is the one who blinds people's minds and hearts, and we're born 
natively dull and blind anyway. And only in the Holy Spirit can make it clear. But still, pastors don't need to contribute to obfuscation. And so, pray for us. Now, the gospel in itself is a clear message. Again, just uh, let me put it simply as I, as I possibly can. What's the gospel? You're a sinner. You have offended a holy God. God is holy. And God hates sin so much, you can't even begin to understand. I mean, let's be honest. Even the most sensitive of us to the law of God doesn't begin to grasp how terrible sin really is. We wink at it. We excuse it. God doesn't. His eye is too pure to behold iniquity. And that's the point. You have offended a holy God. And it's a bigger problem that you can ever imagine. But here's the good news. This is the mystery of the gospel now revealed. And it's amazing and it's wonderful. When you think about it, you know, we're so used to the gospel. It's kind of like, ah, the gospel. But you think about it. A holy God who hates sin who detests any contact with sin, takes upon himself human flesh. Now, that's not in itself sinful, because otherwise he would have become a sinner. He takes on himself human flesh, lives not just with a mask, but elbow to elbow, cheek to jowl (laughs) with sinners. It's sinned against time and again. He endures it. He endures the sin of being lied about, maligned, blasphemed, tortured, whipped, scourged, nailed to a cross, and killed. Why? To save rebels who deserve what? Hell. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that what you couldn't do, he did. You can't obey God's law perfectly, not even close, he did it. And that what you deserve, he got, the cross. That's, it, it, Paul says, help us ma- make it clear. You say, that's obvious, that's clear. But why? Because God's opened your eyes. Pray that God would help us make it so clear that is only a rebel pushing it away who's not going to get it. Of course, men are born that way. But God can take the scales off the eyes like he did with Saul on the road to Damascus and make them see. Now, why is this so important that we pray for clarity in preaching? Well, I've heard a lot of preachers in my life. Of course, most of the time, uh, especially in the Philippines as a missionary, I was not sitting in the pew. Uh, I was preaching here or there or somewhere else. And so I didn't always get to hear preaching except my own. Uh, But let me just say this. I've heard many preachers, and a lot of them were very good. And you can find many good preachers online, uh, and you can... Go to many churches where you'll get good, solid preaching from the Bible. But sadly, uh, there are many places where you get bad preaching. There are bad preachers. And a bad preacher is one, and the worst preacher is the one who preaches error. 
a bad message. He's not preaching, as Paul said, the mystery of the gospel. He's preaching health, wealth, how to, how to have a good marriage, how, you know, which isn't bad, but it's, 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 all, it's all focused on men. How to improve your skills at your job. So all of this drivel, a lot of churches, you'll get a lot of that. Wrong message. Maybe it's actually heresy. And if he's good at preaching heresy, that's the worst kind of preacher. One who preaches heresy in a bad way is not nearly as dangerous. But then there's those who preach truth, but they preach it in a sappy, sentimental way, and it comes across as, you know, not really sincere. And so people go away saying, that's Christianity, it's just this sappy stuff. And then there are those who preach truth, but they preach it dully, coldly, boringly, not clearly. You need to pray for your preachers. Pray that we'll preach clearly, boldly, plainly, truly, all these things that Paul asks for. It's vital that we make it clear, the truth clear. Spurgeon tells this story, and, and I think this illustrates what I'm trying to say here of a young man who thought he was gifted to preach. He kept uh, requesting from his pastor, an older man, he kept pestering him in a way, uh, pleading with him to be given an opportunity to preach. And finally, the older man broke down and gave in. And here, let me quote Spurgeon's words about the result. That opportunity was the end of his importunity. For upon announcing his text, he found himself bereft bereft of every idea but one, which he delivered feelingly, and then descended from the pulpit. My brethren, said he, if any of you think it is an easy thing to preach, I advise you to come up here and have all the conceit taken out of you. And then he sat down. Well, again, it's not an easy task to stand and proclaim with the eye of God upon us. In judgment day faithfulness, God's word, which you need to hear. And it is only the grace and the wisdom and the power of God that can take a man who is an earthen vessel, clay pot, and use him to display the glory of God in all its splendor. So you don't see the clay pot, but you see God in his majesty. And you see the gospel in its beauty and wonder and attractiveness. Only God can do that. And so we need to plead with God that these clay pots, your pastors, will make known the mystery of the gospel in clarity as we ought to speak. And so as we conclude then, this evening. Brethren, pray for us. And and I think you know by now, having gone through this passage, that that's not a selfish request. Uh, Not that we be healthy, not that that's bad, because we want to have enough health and strength to continue on as we advance in age. Uh, Not for our trials, not that we don't have them, uh, but that we would speak God's word to you clearly, truthfully, according to the word, 
boldly as we ought to speak. Pray for us. I know you do, and and, uh, I'm thankful for that. And I know that in a sense, behind me as I stand to preach this evening, behind all each of us, is a cloud of witnesses, as it were, of prayers holding us up. Keep up that good work. Keep it up. All right, so brethren, pray for us. But then let me say secondly, with regard to an application of this message, look for this kind of ministry in a church. If you go to a church and you find uh, that they're not preaching the mystery of Christ, of his gospel, plainly, clearly, boldly, uh, with doors of opportunity. They're not taking the opportunity, but it's drivel. It's all of this health, wealth, or all about men and their needs and blah, blah. Don't let the preacher say, well, it's all your fault because you didn't pray for me. Because he's got responsibilities. Maybe you need to say, I want to find a place where these things are happening, that this kind of preaching is taking place. But then thirdly, by way of application, brethren, let's keep gospel priority in our hearts and not be self-centered. Let's emulate the Apostle Paul in our prayer request. Not that it's wrong, again, to pray for job opportunities. We pray for these kind of things in our prayer meetings. We pray for people with health needs. Uh, That's not wrong. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. But you know that our prayer meetings are gospel-focused. That was one thing that astounded me and impressed me and delighted me, I have to say, when I first came to Trinity Baptist Church back in 1978. I came from a church where the prayer meetings were only a little portion committed to prayer, to be honest. And that little portion was committed to prayer for, well, brother so-and-so has a sore toe, and uh, sister so-and-so. Well, I I was in a church once not long ago, and somebody came and said, well, my garage door uh, fell down. Pray that I'll find somebody to fix my garage door. Well, (laughs) it's a real concern. But we're gospel-focused. And when I came to this church, we had missionary prayer letters, praying for other churches, praying for the progress of the gospel around the world. I was astounded and delighted. Brethren, keep up the good work. But in your own prayer life, keep a gospel kingdom focus. Don't let the spirit of the age drive you to, well, my needs. Well, they didn't pray for me. Well, what about me? It's a rebuke to the self-centeredness of our day. And the last place, let me apply this especially to our friends of millennials or post-millennials or Gen X, Y, Z, whatever generation you're from. But you know, this is the human heart. It's to focus on self. What do I get? What about my needs? What about my feelings? What about my hurt? Oh, you may have hurt, and I'm very sensitive to that. Don't don't take what I say here as uh, the insensitive pastors don't care about how you feel. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. But what I'm trying to say is, stop for a minute. What is really of vital importance? Is it all about you? That is the mark of a sinful human heart. 
That is the mark of someone who loves himself. That's what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And such were some of you, I might add. Such was I. But you see, this self-centeredness is a mark of an unbeliever. You see it in yourself? Look in the mirror. What are you all about? Well, looking out for number one. What's wrong with that? (laughs) I'll tell you what's wrong with that. God hates it. Because you ought to be all about the one who gives you life and breath and all things, who made you for his glory and is watching out for you. Yes, even for the wicked, God sends rain and sun and gives his good gifts that the kindness of God might lead you to repentance. Look to Christ. Let him renovate you from within. You know, it's interesting. I was, a quote came to my mind from a man named uh, John Duncan. He was nicknamed Rabbi Duncan because he taught Hebrew uh, back in Scotland in the previous century or so. And um, this, this man uh, had gone through, maybe like some young people that grew up in this church. He grew up in a church, in the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. And he became an atheist as a young man, a skeptic, total skeptic, atheist, reading philosophers. He was quite the philosopher. But as he went through a period of darkness as a total atheist, God snapped him out of it. And he was crossing a bridge when he realized there is a God. And he danced across the bridge. And he said, I, there is a God. It just kind of came to him. And, but that wasn't his conversion. He still had to come to Christ. But all his life, after he was converted, after he became a pastor, a missionary uh, to the Jews in Budapest, all the things he did, he still had struggles of assurance. You know what this man, and and maybe some of you young people can sort of relate to that. Well, I've been through doubts. Well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? You know, I prayed. My my parents, I went to my parents and they said, pray and ask God. And I prayed and I asked God and, and it feels like nothing happened. Well, this man who struggled with assurance, you know what he said? And I couldn't find the quote, but, but it's, I think it's reliable because it's stuck in my memory. Today, I will begin to begin to be a Christian. Now, what did he mean by that? Today, I'm going to again go to the narrow gate we heard about this morning. I'm going to go to Christ. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to lay it all on Jesus and let him take it away on the cross. And today, I'm going to walk in the narrow way, that narrow way of obedience and follow him. And so, dear young people, you don't have to feel some quiver in your liver. You just have to go to the narrow gate and go down the narrow way. And no matter what you feel, say, today, I'm going to begin to begin to be a Christian. And you know what? Every day you do that and you do that and you do that. And God is transforming your mind and your heart. 
and you're a new person. Come to him. That's the good news. There's a savior for sinners. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I tried that and nothing happened. Every day, come back to the gate. Every day, go through the gate. Go on the narrow way. Every day, keep following the lamb wherever he leads. And you know what? You know where he leads? In my father's house are many mansions. I have a place for you. He leads to glory. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, which is so clear and plain to us today because it was made known, it was manifest, it was revealed when the Lord Jesus came and took upon himself flesh and in that flesh went up to the cross and rose from the dead and reigns in glory. We thank you for our Savior, for such a Redeemer. And we ask that you would take your word to us, make us more and more as a church here at Trinity, a praying people, that we would plead with you to use your word every Lord's day, every time that there's an opportunity, and pray for more opportunities. Open doors for the gospel with our neighbors, our co-workers, our casual contacts, Old college friends and classmates, oh God, open doors for the gospel and help us to speak it forth as we ought to speak clearly, boldly, truthfully, accurately, according to what your word says. And we ask that you would continue to build this church by adding new living stones brought in, gathered to us. Build your church. As you have promised, Lord Jesus, build your church. And so we commit all of these cares to you, knowing you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.